0: Jesus, thanks for the gift that is regeneration. Thanks not for structure and planning and programming. Thanks not for strategies and vision, but thanks for the work that you've done in the last 52 weeks and then some in the lives of the people that have intersected with us. And we pray, Father, for more. Not necessarily for more people, although that's our vision. It's not this 50, it's the next 50, but we pray for more of you and that you would have more of us. As we open your word today to figure out What it means to be a living church. Uh, Grant that we, by the power of your spirit, would come awake. pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, welcome to Regeneration. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here. uh, And we are super, super glad to have you. Welcome to Howland United Methodist Youth Group, uh, which could beat us up in a, you know, West Side Story style dance fight. So let's not go be initiating any of that tonight. Um, I just want to tell you a few things when we get, as we get started. Tonight is our first birthday. And as I prayed, we're not excited about being a church. We're not excited about a building. We're not excited about anything you can put on paper or see or touch. We're excited about the ways that God has worked uh, through us to do really actually some tremendous things in the last year. And we're so, so thankful about that. Inside the program that you received on your way in is all sorts of info about who we are as a church. Uh, and I wanted to just draw your attention to a couple things. First, if you happen to be a guest with us tonight, um, I would love to just say thanks for being here. Um, it means a lot to us. Fill out that connecting card, um, youth group folk. We have gift bags for you just for showing up tonight. So, flick the skittles at each other. All right, that'll be awesome. Matt will love that. Make sure to really grind them into the carpet of the vehicle that you rode here in. Um, if you happen to be, let's say, uh, over 18, and this is your first time at Regen. Uh, we also have a mug for you, but we're super thrilled. Listen, as you get older, you go to school, and when you go to school, you get report cards, and so inside your program this week is a report card for regeneration. Um, all month, we are asking people to grade us, and so uh, as we go through our service, grade us, A, B, C, D, or F. There is no E, so don't go looking for it, and uh, Invite a friend this month to say, hey, we have been doing this church thing for a year. We want to know what works and what doesn't. So give us a grade. You can drop that and your connection card in the little basket at this back table under the letters R-E. We're super, super thrilled to have you here. Um, So let's dive in. We're in this series called The Living Church, which is found in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this evening, which is on page 706 in the Bible that was near you. Um, so go ahead and grab a copy of that. We're in Ephesians. You're looking for the one that starts with E-F-E. There's a book of Ians, and it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Go eat pizza. When you find it, just chill there. The verses will also be on the screen. We're in this series called A Living Church because in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes a letter to a church to help them understand what a church is and isn't. And let me give you a hint. If you were to think right now of how you know when you're in a church, you might think of a building, you might think of uh, a team, you might think of your youth group, you might think of a pastor, you might think of uh, an event or a function, but when Paul's writing about the church, he wants us to know that the living church is not defined by a committee or a structure, it's not defined by a building or even necessarily the, the group of people that are there, it's not defined by Doctrine or denomination, here's what it's defined by it's defined by being a living, loving organism. And if you've been with us for about the last seven weeks that we've been doing this, we know that the living church is filled with people who have new identities and who have been united together into one common purpose as missionaries who, under the authority of gifted leadership and godly leadership, seek to grow into maturity by speaking the truth in love. This is my wife, Stephanie. She's awesome, she's handing out Bibles if you need one. And so as we turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we're looking at verses 1 through 20 on page 706 of that Bible in front of you. And we're going to look at, I want to start with asking this idea, what is the ultimate goal of the living church? Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, imitate God therefore in everything you do, because you are his dear children Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Jump down to verses 8 and 9. For you once were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. The living church makes its highest priority imitating its father. The people in the living church seek as their number one goal to be like God, following the example of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why the living church's prayer, Regeneration's prayer, Howland Youth Group's prayer is never God give us more people. It's always God give us more of you. What I've been struck is we've been working our way through Ephesians. This is like week six or seven of an 11-week series that we're doing, at no point does Paul lay out in the book of Ephesians, here's three easy steps to make your church grow. Here's three easy steps to make your youth group bigger. Here's three easy steps to make your church explode. There's no sense of programming or strategy or any kind of other tactic, at least not on the surface. But when we look closer at what Paul's writing in Ephesians here's what he wants us to say this tactic that Paul gives us for in Ephesians for church growth is simply this becoming the church that God is looking for Um, since we started regeneration I've been a pastor for a while now and it seems like everybody is interested in telling me what kind of church they're looking for they want this kind of music they want this kind of kids or youth ministry it better look like this they better offer this kind of cupcake and those cupcakes all better be gluten-free and delicious at the same time thank you very much And yet, as we look at Ephesians 5, and really this whole book, the text isn't super concerned with helping us become the church that people are looking for. It's interested in helping us become the church that God is looking for. That is the tactic for church growth. That is the tactic for how we reach more people, by being like Jesus. So here's what you need to understand. There is a radical transformation that takes place when you step across the line of faith and begin a journey with Jesus, when you ask Jesus in your, into your heart, when you uh, put your faith in Christ, when you get saved, uh, when you become a believer and the endless list of cute Christian words that we use to describe that. It is not simply a change in who you hang out with or what you do or what you think. It is not simply a change in how you vote or, or how you do anything. It, it's a an radical, life-shifting, groundbreaking transformation of the heart That is made possible through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, which is why Paul grounds this text in verse 2 like this. He says, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. It's really important to remember that when you step across the line of faith, your identity changes. If I were to give you a sticker that says, hello, my name is, you might write your name. And if I gave you a sticker that says, hello, this is the things I like to do, you might define yourself as a hunter or a soccer player or a student or a mom or a dad or a grandparent or the job you do or whatever like that. But as we look at Ephesians, Paul wants us to change what we'd fill that blank in with. He changed it to, I am in Christ, that the most important thing about you, this is so important, and howling kids like catch this if you like just want to zone out and like play Tetris for the rest of the night. When you step across the line of faith, the most important thing about you is that you belong to Jesus. That's it. It's not what sports you play or what your GPA is or what college you get into or don't get into. The reality is it's the most defining thing about you is who you are in Christ. And the reason that is important is because Paul is going to give us a giant list in verses 1 through 20 of stuff to do and stuff not to do. And if we're not careful, this becomes a text that's about religion. And that's never what Jesus came to offer us. Jesus never came to offer religion. What Jesus came to offer us was a relationship that frees us from certain things and frees us to certain things. But if we just look at this text and start doing these things, there's a list I have, Dylan, of do's and don'ts, a little chart side by side. If if it just becomes about these do's and don'ts out of Ephesians 5, we totally miss this important thing, identity precedes activity. You do what you are. You do what you are. You're not, you're, you're not what you do. You're not, that, that's kind of counterintuitive. You've got to think about it. Who you believe yourself to be is what's going to drive what you do. And so Paul wants us to understand that we are God's children, that we are fathered. And that as fathered people, we live in a certain way because our identity has changed. Not because we want to externally do the right things to get God's acceptance so we can get into heaven and sit on a cloud and play a harp forever. Sounds boring, but okay. What he wants us to do is have a change that comes from the inside out. What Paul wants us to see in Ephesians five is that we're not like other kids. Uh, When I was in like elementary school, I really, really, really wanted to have a TV in my room Uh, because I had this wicked sweet thing called a Super Nintendo with Donkey Kong Country 1 uh, that I wanted to play in my room when nobody was looking. And so I spent about six months begging my mom if I could have a TV in my room. Please, mom, let me have a TV in my room. Please, mom, let me have a TV in my room. And I even picked up on the fact that Randy, the kid across the street, had a TV in his room. And Tony, the kid two doors down, also had a TV in his room. And so I began to appeal, mom, this is what good moms do, you know? Tony's mom does this Randy's mom does this is important you need to give me a TV in my room and I remember finally when she looked at me and she didn't yell it but she said calmly we're not like other families just because other families do that that's fine some of your parents in here you got kit TVs in your kids room nobody's yelling at you I'm just saying my mom looked at me and looked at me and said we're not like other kids and Paul wants us to see in Ephesians 5 that we're not like other kids That while other kids on the block may do this, that, or the other thing, we don't because we have a different daddy. Side note, can I just, let me get off on this rant for a minute and just get it out of there. Every human that you meet is not God's child. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God's children are those who have been adopted into his family by faith. Everybody else is someone that God created, that he cares for, that has dignity in his eyes. But not everybody is God's child. Don't be, giving my, don't be bringing people into my family without telling me about it. You know what I'm saying? Don't be sharing my daddy with people that I'm not ready to, to do that with. We're not like other kids. And so Paul gives us some house rules. I don't know what the house rules are in your place I don't know if the house rules are that you are allowed to wear shoes in the house, or if you're not allowed to wear shoes in the house, I don't know if it's that, um, you know, you have, this is where your dirty really laundry you goes, somebody else's, in some houses the butter stays outside of the fridge, some houses the butter better stay in the fridge or else. Paul wants us to see our house rules, and the first house rule that Paul gives us is that we're not ruled by our passions. He says we're not ruled by our passions, passions is a weird word, right, it um, passion is like the name of like a weird romance novel that you see like in the airport but that's not what it's about passions is about those things that feel good and that we want to do because they feel good and paul names two in particular and says while the other kids on the block are controlled by their passions they do whatever feels good cuz it feels good paul says we don't do that we're controlled by a higher authority and so in verses 3 and 5 he says let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. If you, by the way, are offended that I brought up the word sex in church, I've now said it twice. Remember that Paul did it first and he did it 2,000 years ago when everyone was much more High brow and prudish on this, and by the way, this is why my, this is you know how my philosophy of preaching works. I kind of pick a book, and we just kind of go with it. And so, um, here we are talking about sex in church. That's three times. To avoid the appearance of being like prudish and weirdly old ladyish on the one hand, and being super obsessed with sex on the other hand, here's what you need to know: that Paul's teachings about sex and money in the Bible. Uh, five, thank you, Clay and Carolyn are counting. Paul's teachings about these things in the Bible, see what I did there, um, are always can be summed up in this. You've got to be cautious. He says you've got to be cautious. Both sex and money, that's six, have the ability to hijack us, to take our desires in a direction that we don't want to go, to take our lives in a direction we don't want to go. And so if you want to just get a summary of what the Bible has to say about sex, it says this, be cautious it's tremendously powerful it's a force created to bind you to one other person for a lifetime and comes with it this crazy weird explosion of hormones and all sorts of weirdness and so using it without caution is an invitation to get burned so i don't know if it's anything but he says be cautious Paul's teaching on money. By the way, isn't it interesting that it, Paul puts sex right next door to money? I think that's fascinating. And Paul says that that you need to be cautious. Money is something that when you have some, you always want more. Find me a quadrillionaire who says, no, I'm good, and I'll tell him that he's lying. Because they're always looking just to increase a little bit. And it's not that money is bad or that people that have a lot of money are bad, but the trick is that it can control us. And so Paul says, Be cautious. He says actually be generous in other places thinking about what can I give away rather than what can I get. And that's an even harder thing by the way way to do it when you're in your 20s because in that period of your life you're like kind of scraping by for every little penny especially if you're a college student and yet generosity applies. He says be cautious. Paul says we aren't controlled by our passions. He also says that we don't follow the crowd When I was little, my mom taught me to be choosy about two things. The first was peanut butter, which was always Jif. And also to be choosy about my friends, because you become like the five people that you spend the most time with. The five people that you spend the most time with is who you spend your life even subconsciously mirroring. And so Paul is saying in this text that The Ephesians need to not go with the crowd, not to be swept away by people who live outside the bounds that God has for them, but instead who do what their father says. You know, when I was young, this was back in the 90s, well before, you know, most of you were even born, which is terrifying to think about for more than a second. I really wanted a pair of K-Swiss. I have a picture of them up here. Um, When I was in fifth grade, I wanted those white shoes. I didn't want that shirt or the shorts, let's be clear. But I really, really wanted the white shoes really, really bad. Because everybody in my school had these awesome, shiny white pairs of K-Swiss. And I just begged and begged and begged. The difference between a child and an adult is that an adult can put off what they want. But a child is always so driven by what their peers want. And that's what Paul's warning against And so look at verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, and 14. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. We're not supposed to go with the flow. We're supposed to stand against the flow. And in fact, we're supposed to point out when the flow is going in a damaging direction. And I'm not talking about like that person doesn't agree with a political stance. I'm talking about, hey, nobody else in the world seems to really care that millions of people globally are in forced slavery. Let's fight about that. Paul says that's the stuff we're supposed to expose. I think he's articulating perspective here. She's catching up. gonna let Anna catch up for a minute. You good? (laughs) Those K-Swiss, I had them for a while. The problem with the K-Swiss was, and I don't understand how everybody else at school kept theirs white. I mean, I felt like the minute I stepped outside of my house, I mean, the minute they came out of the box, they were just black. Do you know what I mean? I don't know why that happens to everybody else. They buy these new shoes and they stay beautiful forever. And mine are just like nasty. And that's the problem with following the crowd is it's eventually disappointing. And eventually what seemed so good at the front end actually comes to be kind of a rant rant in the end. Lastly, Paul says we don't live like fools. Other people on the block may be thoughtless and careless, they may be silly, but Paul invites us to live with thought and intention he says be careful how you live don't live like fools but like those who are wise make the most of every opportunity in these evil days don't act thoughtlessly but understand what the lord wants you to do paul says don't be a fool don't be that person paul says Foolish people are kind of always just governed by, again, whatever feels good. And they always are people that, look, that leap before they look. They shoot first and ask questions later. Kind of leave behind them a string of people that are just ticked. But Paul invites us to live wisely and carefully and thoughtfully, to look before you leap. And I think what's so interesting is that Paul connects living wisely with worship. Look at verse 19. Well, in the last half of verse 18, Paul says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything you do to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow wisdom is shaped in us as we worship, which sounds strange because we sing songs and we do all of these things. But here's what y'all need to know. Like church Functions like the gym and i and I say this a lot, but it 's true. Um, the gym, when I go three times a week, even though I mostly feel like I want to die, uh, even though I sweat in ways and frankly in places that I never thought possible, we are I am somehow shaped and formed into someone who's tummy is an inch and a half smaller than it was six months ago so that's pretty cool and I can like deadlift 200 pounds which I guess comes in handy when you need to deadlift things and (laughs) or when you need to lift dead things I don't okay when we go to worship it forms in us what is good and right and true and frankly what's wise the reason that going to church the reason youth group going to big church I called it big church when I was growing up in youth group reason going to big church is important is because it shapes and forms us into the people that Jesus desires us to be. It shapes us into these people, these children of light, who imitate their father. Listen, Jesus is not to be taken lightly. Um, Jesus is not to be taken lightly. Because he invites us into a life that is wholly and utterly different than what our friends live and makes us shapes our decisions and the way we pursue things totally differently. And, and I, I've kind of said this in various places before, and here's what you need to know. I am, a, I am under n- no biblical obligation to make anybody in this room comfortable, which is good because Jesus never calls us to be comfortable. If you're looking to be comfortable, church is a terrible place to be. If you're looking to get comfortable, like go live in a nursing home. Go on a cruise. Move to Palm Beach or wherever it is that they have those fans that they just fan you with and you drink out of coconuts. I was at a friend of ours, um, her name is uh, Vicki Kelly and she pastors at a church in Girard and they just started this new worship service called iFire, which Asked me, is a pretty sweet name. And uh, are you sure? Okay. And uh, at iFire, she said something that was, I thought, tremendously important. She said, um, We're creating a community where everybody is safe, but no one is comfortable. And I thought that was important because at regeneration, this is easy to know if somebody has a problem with another person here, they've got to go through me, and that is not a pleasant experience. Um, because I can turn into this very strange Papa Bear version of myself. And they have to go through all of us. Nobody is safe. I mean, everybody is safe, but nobody is comfortable here. Never once have I asked, what would make someone more comfortable? Never once have I said, what can I do to make this whole experience more appealing? Which is good, because that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us to live uncomfortably. Jesus wants us to be stretched to the very boundaries of who we think we are because that's what it means to be a child of the light. It means to expose evil things, which is hard. So Jesus invites us on this journey where we give up everything. We're about to sing this song. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. It is about radically devoting yourself to one not thing, one person and one person only for the rest of your life and shaping every, even the most minute decisions around him. And that is what has the power to change the world. Not like a sentence regeneration that we write on the wall, not balloon bouquets, not the way that we set up this space speaking of regeneration now, what's going to change people is when we live faithfully as the people that Jesus wants us to be. And when we do that, when we invite them to church, they're going to be interested. Just calling it as it is, there are plenty of church people in Trumbull County that are super comfortable, which is why 9 out of 10 people in Trumbull County have no association with the church whatsoever. And the the 1 out of 10 that do are so often stuck in their own ways that They're not living a life that's compelling to people far from God. Guys, if you want your friends, your family members to know Jesus, you don't need to like memorize this cute phrase. Every time that the waiter comes and says, would you like some water? You don't need to say, did you know that Jesus is the living water? And if you trust in him, you'll never be thirsty again. You don't need to leave a tract. They're just waiting on you to be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. And on some level, that is so complex and so challenging. And on the other hand, it's really rather simple. But all that Jesus ever asked of us, all that he ever asked of us was just to live like him. And here's the bad news. We suck at that. We fail at that miserably way before we ever even get out of bed in the morning. And so sometimes we need to hit the reset button. We need a mulligan. We need a do-over. That's why every week in our community, we take communion every week because it reminds us of who we are, of the story that God is telling about us that he so deeply wants us to believe. It's a story that says on the night, even when Jesus was going to be betrayed by someone he loved, he took bread and he broke it. And he shared it with his friends and he said, this is my body which is broken for you eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me because somehow in brokenness we find wholeness isn't that bizarre same way also later in the supper he took a cup and he said this cup is the new covenant the new agreement that is between you and I poured out for all people even the comfortable ones he says drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me can seem weird, right? This is a weird churchy thing that we do. We take like a piece of torn up Aldi bread and we dip it in some grape juice and the Bible says he drank wine, which now feels like we're doing something even stranger. But the bizarre thing is that at this table, Jesus somehow becomes present to us. How? I don't know, but he does. And he invites us into a deeper belonging to himself. It shapes our allegiances. It lets us hit the reset button because it reminds us that we serve one who loves us and forgives us totally and deeply and in real ways. So the band's going to sing a song
1: and they're going to invite us to
0: sing. And as they do, you can just kind of come forward. You're going to grab a piece of bread and and dip it in the cup and eat it. Taste and see that the Lord is good is what we say. Some of you are going to drop the bread into the cup and cause a floaty. Don't go for the floaty. It's all right. You just get a new bread and you just, dip it in there. If you happen to be planning on giving tonight, if you're aligning your heart and worshiping with your wallet, I guess is the cute way to say it, the basket's there. But at this table and at this moment, Jesus just invites you back to the fullness of who he sees you to be and who he's offering the world to be. So let's pray and then we'll worship. Father, we confess that we're not very good imitators of You. Oh, we're very, very, very good at imitating other people. We're cool. we're very skilled, but the only person You tell us to imitate is You. And so we just pray that You would help us do that, and help us do it in such a way that our friends and family, that are far from You, uh, would just be surprised. I think, stunned even by how real this is, that it's more than a religion, it's more than a list of do and don'ts, but it's something deep and true that has something to do with our real life. Pour out your spirit, we pray, on these simple gifts of bread and cup, that they might become to us the body and blood of Christ, that we might become the body of Christ, his hands, his feet, his eyes, his ears, even his mouth, united in love and service to everyone we know and even those we don't. Use this meal to break our hearts for what breaks your hearts. Use this meal to open our eyes to see people like you see people. Use this meal to help us point someone to Jesus this week. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The table is open. this week as someone who imitates your father may you brightly display to the world that you are a child of light not a child of darkness ain't no more um, it's our first birthday and so we have cupcakes and a dozen other things that you need to eat uh, we're so glad that you're here as a side note we, we kind of have to do like some setup and tear down and so you're not allowed to be helpful in any way until like 7:15. all right so go eat food you're loved we'll see you next week